This is John H. from Legends of Tabletop, and I'm enrolled at the Miskatonic University podcast. And I have to say that their correspondence classes are really good. The one on cults and secret societies, just phenomenal. Oh yeah, go pods! Bonjour, this is Jean-Paul Lenné d'Augustine. As you may know, I am stuck in Eastern Europe, where one cannot even find a decent croissant. We are on the track of an evil sculpture, in pièce d'art from the ancient times. I have heard through the uh, grapevine, as you say, that some of you may have secret knowledges of what lies ahead. There is a portal I have discovered in my researches that will let us meet in Providence in the Ile de Rode in one month. If we could meet and you could share your secret knowledges, it might save the world. Merci et bon sang, Jean-Paul. Et... <laughs> it is a center for higher learning. It is a place with centuries of secrets in its shadowed halls. This is where you have come to learn the mysteries of the cosmos. Welcome to the Miskatonic University Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Miskatonic University Podcast, episode 85. This is the podcast dedicated to Call of Cthulhu and other horror and Lovecraft-related role-playing games. I'm Keeper Dan. And I'm Keeper Chad, and we've got a ton of news and comments to catch up on. Oh yeah, we do. We're going to get things rolling right off the bat here with Campus Crier. Miskatonic University Campus Crier. Campus Crier's Miskatonic U student paper. Here's where we go through news and feedback. This episode is recorded August 9th, 2015. And yeah, we have um, a lot of stuff to go through. <laughs> <laughs> crier, crier, and more crier. Yeah. In the show notes here. Yes, several pages worth. The uh, show notes for the episode should be quite impressive. <laughs> but figure we'll start off with uh, a little thing that happened, you know, about a week ago. Nice. Yeah. Unfortunately, pretty much all of my Ennies recording sounded like that, because I was just holding my recorder in my lap as it went, so... Yeah, you got the moment. Yep. The tape. Yep. The uh, acceptance speech wasn't really worth trying to grab, because I had no idea how long I was supposed to have. I was the very first person to accept anything for the evening, because podcast was the second category of the night, and nobody showed up for the silver or gold for the first category, which was website. So, so I got to be the, the very first person to step up to the podium. Sweet. Apart from the EMC. Yeah. 
That was awesome. They didn't have a clock and a, an, no. or- an orchestra to signal when you were getting to. <laughs> yeah, if they might, but I never reached it to have an idea. Right. <laughs> so I was basically in my mind, I was thinking they probably want to keep this quick. Mm-hmm. So I stepped up there. They had a couple of folks that one of them, you know, put the metal around your neck, which is, you know, a nice heavy metal uh, piece that is made by uh, the folks that do campaign coins Mm. it's very cool and then they give you also a certificate in a little frame and then i went up to the mic and just basically said you know thank you to our wonderful listening community that uh, voted for us and go pods and then i stepped down Mm -hmm. which i think was that was the bare bones adequate right (laughs) then ken and robin took gold and they were up there for about two minutes they decided to do a little show (laughs) <laughs> yeah well which i think they've done in the past where they basically robin starts feeding ken um nerd tropes and really yeah <laughs> wow it was it was all a pre-written pre-arranged sort of shtick uh-huh. that they did but um you know it wasn't bad you know hearing them do that live because i didn't make it to their live show again mm. but uh you know it was still kind of neat yeah, they they took the gold. You know, I'm not shocked. I'm not really disappointed. Their audience has to be at least three times our size. Sure. Minimum. <laughs> and uh, they're kind of names unto themselves. So it's not that surprising. Though next year I plan on making them fight for it. <laughs> yeah, that's the spirit. Yeah, it's uh, it doesn't hurt at all to have them uh, have a podcast like that take gold. Mm-hmm. They do a good job. They also do something completely different than we do. So, yeah. And uh, Chaosium actually did a quite a few, um, you know, really good words there. A lot of it, it actually kind of became a running gag of how often the guy from uh, Wizards of the Coast came up for D and D. Oh yeah. <laughs> Apparently, Fifth Edition is really good because they won. In almost everything that they were uh, put into. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I've played it now enough to to be able to weigh in. It's a it's you know, a nice addition. It's feels like D and D. I think it satisfies the old school folks and it also brings in some some new innovations. So Yeah. Their uh their new campaign I don't know what exactly one did their campaign um uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen, did that come up at all? I should look this up ahead of time. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Uh, I've been I've playing got the list that. of winners up here. And, uh, cause yeah, there was just tons of D&D wins. And one thing that was kind of amusing is that, you know, everybody gets to choose a piece of music or something that's played whenever you go up there. And so for, uh, Wizards, what they selected was like the um, main theme from Harry Potter. And so we got to hear (laughs) that little bit of music, you know, many, many times. (laughs) And what was kind of neat was that the, um, the MC mentioned that, yeah, at one point I actually even did some work with uh, Warner brothers. And I know that um, Hasbro's being charged like $15,000 per playing of that. (laughs) (laughs) Great. But, uh, yeah, this, it was a good time. It was uh, a good show. The 
setting for it is just beautiful. I really like that hotel. The Crown Royal is just awesome. It looks like it was like an old train station that they oh, converted yeah. into a hotel. So yeah, it's the whole place has like open uh, steel beams with the rivets in them that mm. are just part of the structure. There's a couple areas in the hotel that they actually still have just full train cars that have been built into the structure and converted into hotel rooms. That's cool. Yeah. And the room that the Ennies are held in is a great big ballroom with uh, beautiful stained glass windows at each end. And mm. it's, uh, it's, it's very stately and cool. I'm sure there's going to be a release of good audio and video from it. Mm-hmm. I, they post their own last year. They posted their own, like not until September, but they did post it. Yeah. The any site. Yep. And, uh, so yeah, the chaosium and call Well, the mythos in general had a good showing, uh, best adventure gold was horror and the Orient express. Right on. So, you know, that was a big deal. Uh, Best aid or accessory was the black and green Call of Cthulhu dice from Q Workshop. Cool. Um, those best dice. cover art was uh, Silver Actun Cthulhu, Terrors of the Secret War from Odiphius. Okay. I think that was the cover with like the, the woman at the desk who's kind of looking over her shoulder at the shadow. Okay, yeah. Yeah, That's I a, love that cover. Great piece of art. Yeah. You know, there was also uh, a handful of things for uh, Moon Design came up for stuff. And this was after the Chaosium panel, so they were all wearing their Chaosium shirts. And so that was kind of neat. But uh, yeah, the Guide to Glorantha, that took silver for cartography. That was, you know, I, I flipped through it a little bit at the booth. And uh, yeah, it's huge. It is just a massive thing. The, uh, you know, I just looked up the cover art just to get that right. Um, and it's not the woman at the oh, desk. Oh, it's not the one with the woman? Yeah. Okay. It's, uh, it's that, I don't, actually don't know what it is, but the, there's this, uh, mythos creature kind of with a mouth arm coming out and <laughs> reaching toward the ground. I just posted it in the show notes there. Um, I think so for terrors of the secret war, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. It's got this uh, investigator oh, okay. trying to <laughs> firing at, you know, what they think is the monster. Probably. I'm actually kind of surprised. I would have thought that the, uh, you know, that other cover. OK, that's the investigator's guide. Yeah. You know that I just I love that cover. It's just so beautifully done. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, this but, one's much uh, more of a, you know, monster. Yeah. Focused. It's a great monster. Yeah. I do like the the whole idea that, you know, the investigators are firing at this one small part. And it's just so, yeah. so obvious they're, they're shooting at the end of the tongue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, let's see here for other mythosy things. Best monster or adversary uh, was also Terrors of the Secret War from uh, Modifius for Actun Cthulhu. That was silver. Mm. Best production values. Silver was Horror on the Orient Express. Nice. Which is nice. You know, I got to look through it a bit. If I had an extra hundred bucks on me, I could have just bought the box set. Right. Sure. Yeah. Disappointing not to have it, but oh well. But it was pretty darn good to have that many things. And Modifius got a couple awards for their mutant game. And 
think something else. So yeah, everybody that we know actually did pretty well with this. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and Golrantha uh, is now related. <laughs> it's the, it's, yeah. the news is now related to Chaosium because they're, we're about to cover that, but they're, they're merging. Mm-hmm. So on the year they merge with Chaosium, they win. Uh, uh, let's see. What is it? Yeah, that was cartography uh-huh. for the guide to Glorantha. Well, I'm spelling it wrong. That's why it's not showing up in my. <laughs> Oops. Uh, <laughs> yeah, guide, guide. Right, best cartography. Yeah. Well, so it's pretty cool. They got silver for best cartography for the guide to Glorantha. Yep. Moon Design, now part of the Chaosium family. Yep. But uh, general report for the con, um, it was fantastic. Had a great time. Uh, I had three items that I were my must go tos that I did go to. Recorded all three with varying levels of quality. My equipment didn't quite uh, work the way I'd hoped, but uh, I made it to the Chiasium panel, which we'll talk about shortly. Then the Ennies, then on Saturday, the Cthulhu All-Stars panel. Mm. And so we'll uh, cover all of those, but we just did the Ennies. But um, otherwise, it was, uh, got to chat with the Chaosium guys a bit. Who all was there this time? So it, Stafford, uh, well, every, everyone on the panel, yeah. Stafford and um, mm-hmm. Sandy, I guess. What, did you catch up with those yep. guys? Yeah. And, uh, basically there was, wasn't any of the ones, anybody there that I had met previously Mm, Yeah, (laughs) because Paul and Mike couldn't make it. Mm. So, so Mike wasn't there at all. There was nobody I had previously known. Okay. Huh? Yeah. Mike wasn't, I didn't realize Mike was not at Gen Con. No, Uh, he was not at Gen Con at all. Okay. And, uh, Paul couldn't make it either. Yeah. Yeah, I I think Matt Sanderson made it to the con, but I never met him, mm. which I was hoping to, but we just kind of never crossed paths. So that part was a bit of a disappointment. I get to didn't get to meet him, mm. but uh, did you meet up with? Um, was Jim there? Yes. Oh, you did. Y- yes. Great. Okay. Jim from Skype of Cthulhu. Yeah, yeah. I actually my friends that I went to the con with, uh, we and Jim and his son actually played a couple board games. Oh, cool. We got to sit down in the lobby of the crown and, uh, you know, that's where Jim was staying. And, uh, so we played a game of a new one that was released, I think from plaid hat. That was uh specter ops, mm. which was fun. That was a neat little thing of kind of a sci-fi, uh, spy sort of thing where one person's designated as the, uh, kind of an infiltrator into a base and you have to disable three points on the ma- on the game board while the other ones hunt for you mm. and it's sort of a random determination of who winds up being the that person and it wound up being me mm-hmm. and then the other ones are kind of like and everybody's like super specialized in what they do there's just some weird characters in there that are pretty cool mm. and so, yeah, it was a fun time with me trying to uh, evade them and, you know, with uh, three players 
all trying to hunt me down as I'm stalking around through there, and they don't even know what character I'm playing for a while until somebody gets eyes on my character. Hmm. And so, yeah, it was actually quite a bit of fun. You know, in the end, they did kind of corner me, but I had disabled all three of the points I needed to, and I was trying to work my way out of the building, or out of the the system, and so they got me on the way out. Kind of a squeaker. Yeah. Huh. But, uh... I like those kind of games, the one against many. Like, uh, Yeah. Yeah, I actually recommend Spectre Ops. That was actually a lot of fun. Then, after that, then, um, my friend Charlie had picked up a copy of Settlers of Catan Ancient Egypt Edition. Mm. And so we played a game of that. Same uh, basic rules, or is this a... Yep. Okay. They, well, what they did is you can actually play it using the normal rules of Catan. Yeah. And then there's, you flip the panels over, and then there's another version of the board that actually has, like, the Nile running through the middle of it. Oh, cool. So you've got some additional oh. stuff, and there's like pyramid building, and the the Egypt version's very cool. Yeah, and a little bit different, because if you have water going through the uh-huh. middle of the board. Through the middle. Yeah. You actually have boats that you build in, over the river to get across it. Oh, um, I see. So they work a lot like the uh, roads. Yep. But you only get three of those. Mm. So you have to be, you know, careful with that, and... There's actually, like, cards with uh, the gods that you can, they each grant you different things, and you can use those a couple times, and you discard it and pick another one. Huh, okay. And so, yeah, it's, I really enjoyed the uh, the Egypt version. With Jim, we played just the standard Catan rules, mm-hmm. because he uh, hadn't played Catan before, neither oh, had his yeah. son. you don't want to start So we with... just did straight Catan. Yeah. And, uh... You know, that was a really good time, and um, I guess uh, Jim's son is now, like, crazy about wanting to try and play more. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it gets you, that game. It's, it's, yeah. It hooks you in, for sure. There's a reason why it's gotten so popular, because yeah. it's really fun. I've never won a game of it. I'm not very good at competitive games, but uh, it's, I enjoy playing it regardless. Yeah. But so yeah, got to sit down with Jim in person and play some games. That's and very that was cool. pretty terrific. Yeah, that's yeah. great. That's something I really regret about missing this year. I mean, aside from not getting to see that Ennies moment, um, really, you know, would like to meet up with Jim at some point. Mm-hmm. Glad you did. Yeah, yeah. His kid is very cool, and uh, it was just fantastic to uh, play something with him that was in person and just a chat and hang out for a few hours it's terrific yeah. otherwise for the con um you know the dealer hall is as one would expect mm. it was overwhelming crazy and awesome and full and expensive i did actually pick up some souvenirs this year cool one thing that was really neat was that of course sandy was there and he brought like a couple of games worth the minis of um cthulhu wars where they were just selling the minis separate oh that's smart yeah and they weren't very expensive you know i got a dark young for i think it was like six bucks oh really yeah oh man i had to buy a dark young from the man who created the creature for the game (laughs) yeah 
And so this, I consider the definitive Dark Young because Sandy invented it and he supervised the creation of this mini. So uh, I've got this bright red Dark Young that whenever I get into painting later on, I'll uh, try and paint that up. Cool. I also got a a little Mego here and a Bayaki. And then you could get like a set of four cultists for like two bucks. So I've got a, four little cultists and then also a mutant. And I saw that, you know, other people were picking up like a whole mess of them mm. that, uh, you know, they're just great minis regardless. Yeah, they're beautiful. I've only seen prototypes. Yeah. And Sandy did make sure that they're the proper size scale to work with other miniatures. So you can use these in other minis based games. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you're doing like a D&D campaign, you know, you can really freak your players out by dropping one of these guys on the board, <laughs> you know, and uh, that can be just a lot of fun. And then also I picked up a uh, Reaper Bones, uh, what they labeled as the phone box. It's a TARDIS. Huh. It's oh, a cool. uh, little white plastic police box that, uh, you know, anybody can make police boxes because it's kind of a public domain right. image. You just can't call it a TARDIS. Right. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I've got a little Reaper Bones TARDIS there, which is kind of awesome. And that's also to scale with my... Uh, little Cthulhu minis here. (laughs) So I've got cultists that uh, can be chanting around the TARDIS. (laughs) And then I picked up some uh, books at the Chaosium table. They were doing a sale. Basically, they were blowing out all of their monographs. Yeah. It's something that we'll uh, cover more in the uh, Chaosium panel. But I picked up monograph of brp basic creatures it's got a medusa on the cover and so these are just creatures both fantastical uh dinosaurs just all sorts of stuff that are all brp statted out which means call of cthulhu compatible Mm. and uh so there's just some neat things in here that uh you know may be useful someday you know if i want an allosaurus baboons sharks bears mm-hmm. you know just all sorts of cool things nice basic reference yeah yeah there's even like cattle <laughs> you know a lot of type of animals that you actually don't normally get in the uh in the call of cthulhu book they do have some regular animals but not quite a huge range of them because that's a lot of space so this way, you know, if I need stats for a gorilla, I have somewhere I can go and uh, get that. Mm-hmm. Or if you wanted to sort of have a, a base, I know that from working with uh, Savage Worlds, like if I need, like you say, some kind of weird dinosaur that nobody has, well, I can look at a giant lizard and say, well, that's about right for stats and, and build, build yeah. off of that. So if you wanted a bear-sized entity you could begin with that um Mm -hmm. yep and so that was a nice useful thing there and then i picked up a couple of books that go together that it's kind of a part one and part two uh called rise of the dead and it's a post-apocalyptic b 
B-movie scenario that is uh, basically the whole, you know, zombie thing. And they, you know, specifically try and make it feel kind of like a movie scenario and... uh, but it is kind of tied into a mythosy origin for the zombie plague. And so, yeah, book one is the initial rise of all this. And uh, then book two is dealing with the people who helped cause it. Hmm. And uh, so that's kind of cool. Then I picked up Mysteries of the Sudan, mm-hmm. which is a fairly you know thick one compared to the others. And uh, that's got... Just all sorts of info there, you know, like most of the mysteries books, it's got, you know, climate, geography, maps, talking about people, various cities of the area, you know, timelines, things like that. And then it has some scenario stuff in the back. Didn't really have anything specifically in mind for it, but it's a cool reference that I may read through and then find some uh, seeds to uh, mess with at some point. Yeah. Then the last one I picked up, which just kind of seemed, it just struck me as fun at the time. It's called Mystic Alliances. It takes place in Seattle. It's got a big thing of the Space Needle on the f- cover. And the tagline is, Teenagers fight the supernatural in two scenarios. Hmm. The setting is the near future. The mythos is once again stirring. In Seattle, teenagers are on the front line in the fight against the supernatural. You, as a teenage investigator, must confront evil in order to keep society safe and sane. Basically, we're looking at uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer versus the Mythos. Oh, okay, right. And so you've got the Scooby gang (laughs) that are uh, trying to take on the Mythos, which is just sort of amusing. And uh, so, yeah, it's as I flip through it, there's like no images at all inside the book. Mm. But, uh, you know, it seems to be broken down into scenes and stuff that, and go with and then i think it has a like a couple of mentions of okay you know here's how you can tweak characters to make them feel more like you know teenagers but it just sort of struck me as amusing and these books were all really inexpensive it was like two bucks a piece or wow, something oh really yeah mm. on the i think it was on friday they had a thing where when the boxes for the the monographs were a lot more full they actually had it where if you grab one book, then you roll a d4 to see how much it was. Uh, two books was a d6, and three books was a d10. Oh, cool. So there was the possibility of just paying a buck for, mm-hmm. like, three books. Nice. <laughs> but even ten bucks for three isn't too bad. Yeah. Oh, man. But, so yeah, that was my general... Uh, swag that i acquired along with the the free stuff you tend to pick up business cards and stuff like that i got to uh meet uh trace baloo from mystery science theater 3000 oh wow nice yeah i had no idea he was gonna be there we're just wandering the halls and my friend charlie spots hey isn't that like one of the robots from that mst show you like and i look over and there's a crow sitting there on the table And I'm just like, oh, that's beautiful. And then I look up and standing next to it is Trace. <laughs> Holy crap. Wow. So, uh, yeah, got to chat with him for a few minutes and uh, got uh, a couple pictures. And he's the one who actually built that crow. And so talked to him about that for a minute because I've got a couple of the parts myself to try and build one. 
Nice. And so, yeah, that was a uh, a an unexpected uh, bonus that you know I'm very happy about. I've now met two of the people from the show, Joel and you Trace. met Joel too. Oh, yeah. cool. From a couple times, yeah. not at uh, the con, but at appearances he did here in Sioux Falls. Gotcha. Oh, nice. He he yeah uh, he he's friends with somebody who lives here that organizes uh small movie event things. And so they did like showings of MST episodes that he came for and talked to folks and signed autographs and stuff. Cool. Yeah. It was a, a amazingly good con. It was just so much fun. And uh I'm looking forward to next year. Cool. But let's go ahead and get into some of the meat here. Yeah. We've got the Chaosium panel, which at first was just sort of, I believe it was titled like the uh, Call of Cthulhu panel, I believe, or something like mm-hmm. that. And Reserved back in January, it, probably, right? So it was na- named yeah. before anything really went down. Yeah. And that was in originally supposed to be like, I think just Mike Mason was going to hmm. be the uh, guy on the panel for that. And then things kind of changed with the company, and yep. then it became sandy and greg that was gonna uh host it and then it became the what's going on at chaosium panel and uh i do have a recording of that i'll be releasing shortly the audio in a couple of places isn't very good because my equipment just was acting up um there will also be other audio of it recorded ross payton from role-playing public radio was there hopefully he got a better recording than i did and uh but I'm going to clean this up as well as I can and release it because it was uh, quite the interesting panel. Yeah, a lot of news. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yep. a lot of news and a whole lot of forthrightness that you don't normally get from companies. Mm-hmm. Greg just seems to be that kind of guy. And uh, basically, there have been like three times now that Chaosium has been broke and on the edge of bankruptcy. And uh, Call of Cthulhu 7th Edition is one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, it turns out that the speculation and the fears were actually pretty well on the mark. Chaosium was dead broke, had used the money in ways that we don't really know at this point. That, you know, they haven't released those kind of things, and I doubt they ever will. That's not something we really need to know, I don't think. But it was gone. That Kickstarter money used up. Yeah. And I th- I suspect that a big chunk of that was used to fund the Orient Express stuff and get it shipped out. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the shipping on both of those Kickstarters was, you know, obscenely low. And they lost their shirts over the shipping alone. And plus they got caught into the trap of stretch goals. You know, just so many goodies and bits and bobs added in that it becomes completely you know unattainable to actually get the full campaign put out but so yeah um as far as what i've been able to discern the company was kept alive by out-of-pocket funds probably from sandy and greg and that's why we still have a chaosium and why we're still getting a seventh edition so they bought out Charlie and then kind of took over the reins of that, got a good handle on it. 
that's, I think, why we were getting the messages from them that were so... Dire, yeah. Yeah, because, <laughs> you know, that's the place it was in. And there were previous points when things were going really bad of, like, the... um. Uh, I guess they, the the first Call of Cthulhu collectible card game did pretty well. Then they swapped over to a non-collectible version and lost everything. Mm-hmm. That was a long time ago. And like all 90s. this is, yeah, right, yeah. yeah, yeah. This was a long time back. And that was around the time that Greg wound up leaving mm. the company. And after they were able to kind of write themselves again after that, and uh, there was like another point somewhere in between there, it the ca- the company hasn't been, you know, it, it's actually pretty darn amazing that it's still around. Mm-hmm. But if everybody remembers, Greg has been one of the uh, leads for Moon Design, which was the company that had the license for the whole Colorantha thing, and so. When he came back to Chaosium, he kind of, basically, he brought everybody with him. It looks like the entirety of the crew for Moon Design are now Chaosium employees. I honestly am not sure at this point if Moon Design actually is still going to exist as a separate entity, because also all of the product lines from Moon Design are now back under the Chaosium umbrella. Cassium is no longer the company that just makes Call of Cthulhu. It's going to be doing the Glorantha line. It's going to be doing the, I believe, the Rune Quest, Rune Quest line. There's just tons of stuff that they're going to be having other than Call of Cthulhu that is going to be one of those things that'll help keep the company solvent and not rely on just this one line to keep it going. Mm. It's I'm, no, structure wise, I'm not sure exactly because I uh, I remember hearing that actually shares in Chaosium were sold to Moon Design. So in some ways, it's hard to tell which direction this is going. If Moon Design is now the umbrella for Chaosium, or um, if Chaosium is the core company that's going to continue, who's absorbing who? Yeah. It's kind of hard to tell, right? Yeah, I'm I'm not really sure. Uh, we do have, you know, they did make sure that they pointed out that the people that we knew had stayed after the introduction of Greg and Sandy that were already there are still mm-hmm. there. You know, Dustin, Mike, uh, Ben Monroe, Nick, Nick, yeah. uh, Nicario. Yeah, they those guys are still mm-hmm. there. And so nobody was dropped. What they did is they brought in additional people and... So there's now, I don't have the list of the names of everybody. I'm going to have to get that from the guys at Chaosium because there's about six different guys that were brought in. And a neat thing that was pointed out during the panel was that they have almost every time zone in the world covered Mm -hmm. because we've got people distributed all over the place. And uh, so that's kind of interesting that if you write to Chaosium, somebody is up and awake to look Mm -hmm. at it. And they have made it very, very clear that they are promising and pledging to be responsive to messages. And uh, Chaosium is no longer going to be the, you know, thing that you just kind of send info in and questions in and nothing Mm -hmm. comes back. You know, when Mike came in, that changed a lot. Mike was, you know, very... 
careful about making sure to respond to people, but it, now it's not, you know, a one man band for mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And he, he, uh, Greg was very clear during the panel that everyone who is staying on from the old regime was the active core. So um, all of those mm -hmm. folks were sort of the ones who were doing stuff at Chaosium, which was a little bit of a you know backhanded stab, but also just some reputational um, support for those who uh, who came over from the old regime. There, there's no dead wood uh, as far mm -hmm. as what they're saying. Yeah. They're it's uh, they're being very clear that the way things have been or is not how it will continue to operate. Mm -hmm. And it feels very positive, you know, and I got the impression of it being a moon coming into Cassium, I think because they made it a big ceremony about the moon design folks like pulling out and putting on chaosium shirts over their moon design mm. stuff and they wore them for the rest of the con mm -hmm. that you know we are chaos yeah, so they're going to take that branding which is smart obviously they don't want to start to re yeah. you know design the logo and all exactly. that yeah yeah chaosium has been around since you know mm -hmm. forever it's one of the early early game companies there was like tsr and chaosium and probably one or two others that aren't around and so that's only sensible to keep that branding as the primary. I personally had never heard of Moon Designs until all this, probably because I had no contact with the Glorantha mm -hmm. line. I never opened a book or anything else. I've heard the word, and that's about it. But uh, you know, it's we've got a lot of people who are very dedicated to Call of Cthulhu. Most of these guys had been playing it since the beginning, and they're all very specifically wanting to make sure that the line and the company stay moving forward and, and mm -hmm. thriving and that they did say that they've gotten the proofs back from the printer. They're going through them now and they are projecting getting the actual paper books to the backers for seventh edition by Halloween this year. Yeah. That's the projection at this point, you know, things might happen that change it, but that's how things are looking. And I think they're at a point of where they're not going to say things they weren't confident in. Yeah, I was surprised. I have to say I was surprised to hear a date announced again, because I think, uh, you know, the Chaosium yeah. verse is a bit fatigued with new date announcements <laughs> at this point. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I would have been uh, happy to hear like a quarter. Yeah, fall. Be out, you know, fourth We're quarter this at the year. Fall. You know, right. third quarter. Fourth Sandy quarter. originally yeah. had said but by the end no, of the year, uh, a few mm -hmm. weeks back, and so and I even thought that was a little like, oh God, Sandy, don't do it, don't say it. <laughs> um, yeah, but now, yeah, that's super specific and super soon. But, so I, I hope that they're able to deliver. Yeah, but given that it's like two years overdue, they I guess felt like yeah, we need to make people understand that this is happening. They got the proofs back. Unfortunately, didn't have the proofs with them at the con. Mm. I would have loved to have actually seen that because they did that with uh, Orient mm -hmm. Express. They had, you know, that binder with, you know, these, uh, the, the game books. It was just massive. It was like three inches thick. And, uh, of course, I don't think that was actually the proofs. But, you know, it would have been nice to have seen something like that. But apparently the proofs have come back from the printer and they are... 
going through it and clarifying things and getting it back up there, and they are pushing forward on this very hard. The email they sent out previously, what they're considering the core products from the 7th edition Kickstarter, those are all being pushed heavy. And so that's going to be including like the Peterson's guides, the um, uh, Keeper screen, any scenario books, stuff like that. Um, Pulp Cthulhu, those are core books that they're uh, the core products from the Kickstarter. And so those are being pushed. The dice, of course, have already been made. You can go and buy the dice now, but I think the, the one of the D10s is going to be something specific to the campaign. Mm. And so they're getting that stuff put together. Other extraneous bits and pieces of it, they're going to be approaching after those core items are out and uh, to backers. They also made a point of making sure that they understand that um, creators who work with Chaosium will be getting paid on time and in mm. full. That's also a thing that Chaosium has not had a good reputation for over the mm-hmm. the years, over the decades. Uh, the couple times I've worked with them, it was always very prompt and on time. But I was also working directly with Mike. Mm-hmm. And so I think that might have been kind of a different factor than what other folks have uh, dealt with in the past. Yeah, I think it's it was it's been uneven because I know in comments in mm-hmm. the Ask Sandy thread and other places that you hear from people who worked with Chaosium all through the 90s or, you know, uh, over the last decade at least and have said, I've never had a bad experience. And then you've had had quite yeah. a few people also saying, you know, what the hell, <laughs> you know, not not getting paid. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got some some old rants from back in 2003 from contributors who are pretty frustrated. So it's, it's weirdly uh, uneven. Yeah. Yeah. That is definitely an odd mixture of people who were getting paid on time and others that weren't. Uh, It was just Mm -hmm. bizarre, but that's something they intend to fix. And there's, they said there was nothing that's going to be changing for the licensees. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're not, we don't have to worry about, you know, folks like, uh, you know, uh, Oscar at Golden Goblin being cut off from being able to do this. No, that's, that's not changing. You know, those guys are still going to be able to do what they do and, uh, that's not going to change. So we're going to keep getting all this fantastic Cthulhu stuff from these other companies. Yeah. I think that's actually a, a weird silver lining of the last decade of kind of bumpy management is that the licensees at, at yeah. least the licensee system was intact and and it started to thrive i think you know yeah oh. yeah for a long time that's where we're getting the primary content chaosium would barely put out much of anything for a number of years and it was all the licensees that were you know carrying that yeah. banner and I think it's a great thing because it's created, comp- a, you know, friendly mm-hmm. competition. It has, um, you know, gives a wide variety. Now we have companies that really have different flavors. So I think all that's a fantastic result, even if it hurt yeah. Chaosium in the long run. Yeah, but it I, I, it has strengthened mm-hmm. the brand. It's definitely made it much more uh, visible. And there were a number of years that I would talk to other gamers and they you know might have heard the the name of it but not anything else 
nowadays most people are familiar with how it works and you know they people know call of cthulhu and i think the extra real estate that these uh uh, licensees are helping to fill has Mm -hmm. been a part of that yeah they're all doing their own kind of pr campaigns they're doing kickstarters which are you have to sort of be really loud and shouty when you (laughs) run a kickstarter so there's the name gets out Mm -hmm. there even more and um, yeah. Yep. And one thing they are going to be pulling back on, mm. I don't know if this is going to be like a permanent thing or just a, a thing for, you know, give it a year or two, but that monographs are going to be a less focused on thing. So basically the print monographs, those just haven't been big sellers. And so when the monographs that are in print are gone they're not going to be reprinted i cannot see why they would potentially remove uh pdf versions i mean they're they're done that's just you know free money there so i expect the pdf versions will still be available it would be foolish of them not to but the print versions are going to be a dwindling supply as they you know, as I said for, at uh, the con, they had a couple of big boxes full of monographs, and they were going cheap. They were just wanting to get them out the door because those are not a focus of what the company wants to do. So the website, uh, the Chaosium sales that have been going on, those are going to continue. And so if there are monographs in print that you've got your eye on, get them now. Yeah, this is one that I really feel mixed about. Um I, you know, you sort of can't question since they're in such a financial emergency, if this is a financial decision, then, then, you know, that's, that's just the way it is. But there's something I really liked the monograph system and, uh, you know, you're saying maybe short term, I I didn't get the, I got the impression that this was really done. Ben Monroe on the Ask Sandy thread actually said monographs are no longer going to be a thing in their current form. So I think. I don't think this is a short-term deal. I think it, it sounds like they're phasing out the entire idea of having these self-edited, um, you know, low supervision products in their line. And it sounded to me in the panel that uh, the idea is Greg was saying this just not, they weren't up to the quality that they want to release. They want more quality control. And um, yeah, which I understand, but I, I think the monograph system is, was really nice in its ability to churn out some strange stuff, unusual kind of stuff that you, that maybe a, uh, maybe even ill-advised, but that's the risk you get is you get some, some good products and some, some not so mm-hmm. good products. But I thought it was a nice farm system for the big published works, you know, where you had Oscar Rios's yeah. uh, Carcosa becoming a full on book. Uh, because it it had that quality. I don't know. I, I I really liked it. I also, you know, as somebody <laughs> and ambitious at least in my armchair way, uh, have always thought, oh, you know, there's a there's a monograph I'd really like to contribute to or make myself, you know. And so, you know, on a list mm-hmm. of ideas now, all these monograph ideas will have to go, have to get deleted because it's um, it's it, that's not the way that they'll get produced. 
of course, there's licensees and there's other ways to get the garage band material out. But yeah, I'm a little sad to see that go. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there have been a lot of people that are pretty prominent in the line now that started mm-hmm. with Manographs. You know, I think Oscar is mm-hmm. one of those. I mean, that's what Cthulhu Invictus yep. started as was just a mm-hmm. monograph. Dark Ages. Yeah, that was kind of a mm-hmm. an idea. Yeah, and you know, it's it's just one of those things that uh, I I do also agree that there is a lot of value in you know having a a an easy method for people to show what mm-hmm. they can do, and I really hope that they will reopen the monograph mm-hmm. idea and just maybe with you know some uh stronger editing or something like that you know since they don't want to do the thing of essentially they didn't for the previous way monographs were because they didn't really edit they didn't really lay out very much they just kept it almost bare bones of what yeah. they were handed and that definitely doesn't always uh bring out the best yeah. product but it does show, you know, what that particular individual, you know, could do. But people aren't always good layout artists if they're good writers. Yeah, right. I mean, some of these <laughs> look like they were uh, straight from a Word document, you know. Mm-hmm. Or and and some of the photo they'd use, yeah. you know, uh, public domain photographs that didn't translate very well. Were not in good uh, high enough resolution for print and. So you did get some really ugly looking books. Um, you got some great material that yeah. looked ugly. And you also got some some crap material, honestly. Some of those are, are real stinkers. I'm, a, I'm actually kind of wouldn't yeah. mind owning a couple of the, the stinkers just to just to have those. Cause, yeah, <laughs> just yeah. Yeah, it, it's kind of like uh, my owning yeah. Sharknado on DVD. Right. It's just sort of a... <laughs> Yeah, and here's an example of yeah. (laughs) Somebody made this. (laughs) So yeah, and I I get what I do get is there must it must be a financial loss to take something that's really not up to snuff, make a print run, and then have it not sell at all because it gets slammed on YSDC or whatever, and and people you know figure out exactly somebody buys the PDF to review (laughs) it and. You know, you're you're yeah. not selling print books. Also, this started in 2003 or early 2000s at some point. The monograph system, and I guess you have to argue too that the just the print industry has changed so much, and there's so much self-publishing now. There's so many Kickstarters that maybe the licensee system is just a better way to uh, get experiments out yeah. in the world. And uh, yeah. I don't know. You know, I'm I'm not concerned that we're going to have a lack of Cthulhu Mythos gaming mm-hmm. products. I just think that they're trying to reorganize how it's going to be released out to the public, given the best face possible of mm-hmm. the products. You know, they, they don't want to half-ass it for yeah. anything anymore. And so they're pulling back everything and then focusing on the stuff that they know is going mm-hmm. to be good because that's one thing that i keep hearing about the whole moon design stuff is that their production values are just mm. astounding and that that is going to be the the default for chaosium mm-hmm. now is that these they intend for this to be an amazingly well-produced 
mm-hmm. game line. Yeah, I get that. And it sounds good. Looks good on paper. I just sort of wish mm-hmm. um, there was also a farm league system. I thought that it, it was was working okay. Yeah. And maybe a little switch to PDS or there'll be another version of this. Um, you know, PDF only releases something cheap. Yeah. But. Uh, exactly. I, I would be surprised if we don't see something like that come mm. back into play. And another thing that kind of goes hand in hand with that is that the BRP line hasn't mm-hmm. been selling just flat out. They stated in the panel that it's, you know, I think less than 10% of the company's income or something like that. It's the BRP line is like one of their least selling things. You know, I personally love it. I think the BRP system in general is one of the best role-playing game engines out there. But the items that are just BRP branded they are going to be no longer focused on as any kind of a active production because they're just not selling. So what they're going to do is they're still using the BRP system. They're just going to be focusing on branded uses of it that Mm -hmm. actually sell, like Call of Cthulhu. And I'm not sure what all else they're going to be doing with it because I think... The whole RuneQuest thing might have its mm-hmm. own system. I've never played it, so I'm not sure. It's, yeah, just but, like Call of Duty, uh, it's on a BRP engine, but has its own, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, its own flavor for how it's going to function. And that's the great thing about BRP is that it is super flexible in uh, how you apply it. You know, a couple of minor additions here or there, and it'll fit pretty much any kind of mm-hmm. genre or or play style. But, uh, so yeah, the, the BRP branded stuff, we're not going to be getting any new things of that. Um, it really hasn't been something that I think the public has really cared about, you know, and the sales kind of reflect that, you know, I was happy to get it because it is great supplementary stuff, you know, like that monster book I picked up. That was a BRP branded, you know, the gold Mm -hmm. cover things. I, I still absolutely love my, uh, brp core rules gold book i think that's one of the best things they've produced in a long time love that thing but uh you know and i'm sure the existing things will still be available on pdf i would imagine so it's not like Mm -hmm. they're pulling the line they're just not going to be producing new stuff for it because it's just not selling and they need to uh get money in the door yeah yeah i would imagine they they'd continue with the pdf somewhere but uh it's just, I, you know, it's not something I feel strongly about, but I, I know that there are people who are, are very, uh, feel very strongly about supporting it. And so I think this is going to be disappointing news for a core, a very small, you know, that 10% is probably a dedicated following. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing that was good about it is that it had, I think of it in Call of Cthulhu terms. And, you know, if you get something like, uh, mythic Iceland or something that's not strictly Call of Cthulhu, you could use those books as source books for, you know, different eras and settings. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they even, they brought Mythic Iceland in as a Call mm-hmm. of Cthulhu setting in the uh, Cthulhu right. Through the Ages book, which is, I think is one of the few times they've done that of a BRP branded thing. They went, you know what? This thing can mm-hmm. really work for Cthulhu. And so they officially adopted it in that method. So yeah, it's 
they have had some really good stuff in that line. And, uh, you know, I'm like the monographs. I hope that the BRP system will be re-evaluated uh, in the future as its own thing. Personally, I really, really believe Chaosium would benefit if they would make the core BRP an mm-hmm. open license. I think that you, we would be seeing a lot more games produced using BRP, which would then be compatible with Call of Cthulhu and, and these other things. And uh, I just, it's such a simple system that I think it would benefit from being an open license. And, uh, you know, it certainly didn't seem to hurt Wizards at all whenever they did that for mm-hmm. Third Ed. But, you know, I'm not a numbers guy. I have no well, idea. I, I'm, I'm just putting I'm that scared out there. to get my facts wrong here, but isn't it true that there's a version of BRP through RuneQuest that is open? Am I wrong on that? That. I believe is uh, what you're thinking of is from um, yeah. Mongoose that they actually picked up a license for, I think it was RuneQuest or one of those. And then they actually released their version of those rules as uh, yeah, open okay. gaming license. And I actually really like them because it is fully compatible with BRP and it approaches things okay. a little differently. And, uh, you know, you can get the core book of that on Drive Through RPG mm-hmm. for like a buck. It's they have the core book for that system, really inexpensive. But um, yeah, there there is one that is very compatible. But I would like to see Chaosium's real official BRP, you yeah, know, go that route. But um, yeah, it's kind of a back. <clears throat> sure, not my call. Yeah, that mongoose mongoose thing is a sort of a backdoor leak that happened a long time ago. Yep. Yeah. But uh, and also, I think they'll be intending to do like some of the other more uh, historical base games, like the uh, Pendragon mm-hmm. stuff, like that. Oh, they talked about Pendragon. Right? I haven't really, yeah, at the panel. You know, I haven't re-listened to it much apart from just trying to clean up audio, so I don't remember the details offhand. But uh, whenever we get that release, then we'll be able to take better notes and and actually. I think we should probably do like a point by point thing of the panel as its own separate mm, post. Okay. That would probably be a, a very useful tool to have. And they also introduce all the individual people and stuff in there. So once I get that cleaned up and released, that probably should be a project we work on. Yeah, I found a list of the people there that uh, who are going to be the new management team. Yeah, so Rick. Oh, good. I don't know how to pronounce this one. Rick Mainz or M- does that ring a bell? Rick Mentz? Mentz. Okay. Mentz, Mentz, I think. Uh, it's M-E-I. So Rick Mentz, Jeff Richards, Michael O'Brien, and Neil Robinson, all from Moon Design, are going to be the management team under, for the... Yeah. And, and those are the ones that are around the world, I think. that, And the, they were all there, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. They were all there. Yeah, um, I don't remember, you know, who was who, but one of the guys is even in uh, Melbourne. So, yeah, he they were saying that, yeah, it, whenever they do their company Skype calls, that it usually winds up somebody's either up really mm-hmm. late or up really early. They got most all the time zones covered. Then up in the Cthulhu All-Stars panel on su- Saturday, that featured uh, two of the guys from Paizo. Then it had Sandy Peterson, 
once he made it in there because apparently nobody had told him he was on that panel. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And he, uh, so he came in a little late and, um, apparently he had actually left a, like a business meeting that he was having with somebody to be there. So that's how much he loves us. And, uh, then it had Ken Height and, uh, one of the guys from Warpo. And so it was, an kind of group. an unusual group because the Ken Height and the Sandy Peterson, yeah, those make perfect sense as Cthulhu All Stars, and I think also originally it was supposed to have mm. uh, Mike Mason on there, but uh, you know Mike of course couldn't make it to Gen Con, but you know the Warpo, you know okay, they're pretty much their only current product line is the uh, Legends mm-hmm. of Cthulhu action figures, but that they are, you know, they really love. The whole, uh, you know, mythos, and they actually had like a full size, you know, person costume of their twelve inch Cthulhu <laughs> figure. So there's a a guy running around in looking exactly like their twelve inch figure with like light up red eyes, and it was really cool. But uh, and then the two folks from Paizo were there, not only because they had released. A bunch of Cthulhu Mythos uh, creatures in their latest uh, monster book, but they had announced the day before at their panel that their next large adventure path is going to be called Strange Aeons. And so, if you're not too familiar, the adventure paths for Pathfinder RPG, which is basically, you know, D&D 3.0, which has been, you know, cranked up to 11, that is going to be like an all-mythos campaign, I believe, from like level one to whatever, mm-hmm. I think is how those work. And so they have doubled down on having a mythos flavor. And uh, one of the guys that was on the panel there is the writer of this new adventure path, and apparently he is definitely a huge fan of Lovecraft and Call of Cthulhu, and he wanted to try doing something like that for Pathfinder. And I'm interested in seeing how that works, because, you know, Pathfinder is an adventure game. Your characters get stronger and more competent and capable mm-hmm. as the game goes on. The exact opposite yeah. of Call of Cthulhu. And so... You know, eventually you're going to get strong enough to be able to punch Dagon in the face. And so I'm not so sure of, you know, how well that's going to translate over, but I'm fascinated to see what they do with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be sort of more along the lines of Octum Cthulhu or, you know, the, well, I mean, not in era, but in flavor. Yeah. Wish uh, allowing the wish fulfillment, the pulpy kind of, um, Thing. Although fantasy can mm-hmm. get dark uh, it can, and still remain fantasy. Yeah. Um, you know, just have a kind of mm-hmm. brooding mood. I think a lot of people like the mythos, uh, its trappings, its, um, you know, I want to say tentacles, but I know that's this now becoming uh, very well known that tentacles aren't that common in Lovecraft. But, you know, that lo- love that kind of otherworldliness about it and its darkness, but don't necessarily want to play a game in which you're expected to die every few sessions. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting hybrid. Yeah. That's the thing with fantasy games kind of idea of it's like, okay, 
I guess a healing potion wouldn't do mm-hmm. much for sanity, but I don't know if they're actually bringing in a sanity kind of style mechanic, you know, so it's, that's why I really need to get my hands on this because I'm just fascinated yeah. with what they're going to do with it. I, and I would certainly play it. I mean, I think that that is something I remember when I first started playing Call of Cthulhu is character fragility was it's hard to adjust to because i would have these characters in high school that i was really attached to you know and um didn't mind Mm -hmm. them going through you know challenges but didn't want them to die and have to roll up and get attached to some new character so it's a totally different mindset yeah yeah and this isn't the first time they've actually done a mythosy type of uh game i found in my research trying to dig up links for strange aeons I found that they had a section of an adventure path called Wake of the Watcher, which was very uh, Innsmouth uh, influenced. And so there's a uh, town in Pathfinder called (laughs) Ilmarsh that is very Innsmouth influenced. And so that's kind of a neat thing where this, this fantasy game town is kind of off to the side and nobody wants to go there and there's these weird bug-eyed mm-hmm. people that's cool and uh, you find out why and i love that i think that works really well so i may have to get a copy of that too just to see how it works some of the reviews i saw you know apparently that was just sort of slotted into a more standard mm-hmm. adventure path so it really kind of probably breaks the general continuity flow of how mm. that was feeling but uh you know i think that's pretty gutsy to drop a horror style scenario in the middle of your standard adventure mm-hmm. path that's kind of cool uh well it's um, you know but, just a blanking oh god this is embarrassing but it's like I mean that that has been done with D and D before. Well, what's the the setting that's sort of it's got a vampire and the, the mists of Ravenloft? Oh, yeah, oh my Ravenloft. God, I, I forgot that. Uh, so, anyway, <laughs> yeah. So you know, it's like Ravenloft. It's meant to be a kind of diversion, a horror, probably a Halloween night diversion, or you know, a, a kind of sideline. Yeah. And this is their mythos version. Yeah. Yep. And so they're kind of taking that tack with it, and they decided, you know, let's just you know really do it up full and create an entire adventure path line that is uh a purely a mythos based scenario so i think each adventure path has several books in it that's supposed to take players you know characters from mm-hmm. one to whatever they go up to and uh so that's just kind of neat yeah but i guess that's supposed to be out next year sometime but the panel itself was uh, pretty good you know, just lots of back and forth chatting and conversations about how, you know, Call of Cthulhu's influenced them and uh, fandom and stuff. I do have that recorded, so I'll be cleaning that cool. up and releasing it as well. So, and up next, we can announce now that Golden Goblin's De Horror Cosmico books have been sent, even in Europe. A Kickstarter update went out, and it's on, it's on the way. Everything on schedule. Yay. Fantastic. I know that Oscar's been having some issues with people uh, not working as far as getting things produced and stuff, so print and all. So I'm I'm really glad to see that finally out the door, and now he can focus on the next one, which I believe yep. was a Car- yes, Caribbean it's in, uh, setting. It's in production now, for sure. And there have been some, 
awesome yeah it's gonna be cool to see it's interesting really yeah really interesting setting to build out and something that really hasn't been explored very much is the caribbean so that's up next yeah i personally i can't think of any caribbean based mythos things i'm sure that there are some you know probably some scenario that is set in the the general region but i can't think of much that would have a focus there so that's terrific yeah, so these guys, Stygian Fox, are they're, they've been billing themselves as a kind of darker flavor of company uh, that they that their material would be kind of yeah exploring the darker side of things. And this is uh, an, an anthology of scenarios. It is for the modern era of Call of Cthulhu, and they've mm-hmm. got some great writers lined up. Uh, we've got Brian Sammons as one of the contributors, Scott Dorward, uh, Jeff Muller, and uh, Simon Brake, uh, David Como, and Stephanie McClea. So some of those names I know, some yeah. I don't. But um, Stephanie is a cartographer who was worked on Horror on the Orient Express in 2300 AD, uh-uh. also 7th edition, and Gaslight. So That sounds like quite the uh good team there we got scenarios these are all modern day oh scott dorward wrote a scenario that takes place in east texas yeah that i is awesome. think that it's okay to say that uh, murph play tested it and he is gonna he, he did a little advising because he lives there <laughs> yeah that's good it certainly helps getting uh <laughs> somebody who's in the area mm-hmm. or at least in the country but okay that's terrific yeah it should be interesting i've been wondering about these guys since they announced uh their you know that they wanted to take on some of the darker themes of lovecraftian horror so uh they got a good lineup good people should be cool yeah and they're almost funded yeah just a few days after launching so, yeah. Yeah, but their funding goal was only yeah. like $7,000. $7,018 for some reason. <laughs> they need that 18 bucks for a bus. And they're currently at 6018 <laughs> Speculate about what the $18 is. I'm thinking maybe a Greyhound bus, uh, uh, Yeah, you know, to get to, I don't know, the, a big city so that they can sell it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. They're yeah, they're exactly a thousand dollars away from funding goal with twenty six days left. So that should be uh, yeah easily attained. <laughs> I think these guys are probably out of the UK because all of the pledge go pledge amounts yeah. are listed in pounds. So that's actually no ten pounds gets you a PDF of the book itself. So that's not bad at all. Yeah, you know, grace gray interior the scenarios. Then if you want a physical copy, then that's 30 pounds. But, uh, oh, very cool. Glad to see how that uh, comes about Mm -hmm. and what these guys wind up producing. They've certainly got some good talent behind the scenarios. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they announced a while ago, so they've been sort of stewing and gathering resources, I guess, for quite a while. I'm glad to see something actually getting out there. It looks like we now have an actual announcement of when we're going to see the Kickstarter for the standalone Delta Mm -hmm. Green RPG, September. Yeah, another one that's been long announced and 
short on updates. Yeah, they've been working on this for a little while. But yeah, and I I read through the initial uh, like beta testing version of it, and it it looks good. So I'm I'm happy to see that they're moving forward on it. That's going to be great. Yeah, they had a panel too, right? Did they have their own? Okay. Yeah, I wasn't there, but I'm sure that uh, Ross Mm -hmm. from our PPR recorded it. You know, he's done a lot of work with the uh, Delta Green guys, so I'm sure that that'll be coming out on uh, the RPPR Well, in fact, Unspeakable just released an episode. Let me see. Episode 21 is the Delta Green seminar at Gen Con. So they've released that. Excellent. And it's an hour and change, hour and a half or so. So I haven't listened to it, but they are talking about the rules. They're talking about how it's backward compatible, talking about skills and bonuses and opposed roles. That's interesting. Opposed roles. That sounds very 7th edition-y. Yeah. Yeah. So they might have kind of come across those ideas in parallel or I don't know. I think it works well. I do too. I do too. It's it's one of the well, I don't know if we were really going to get into that. You mean the the opposed roles mechanic? Mhm. Yeah, I do too. I think it's a kind of a lateral change. If you want to get rid of the resistance table, it is the best most efficient solution. Um Yeah. Yeah. It does mess with the core more than any other mechanic, but I think uh I think it's kinetic and active and, you know, you got two people rolling dice at the same time. I think that's pretty interesting. And um, to me, it works really well. Yep. Me too. I'm uh, happy with how 70 plays out on that stuff. It just takes a little bit of practice to get hang of, you know, how it works. But once you do mm-hmm. it, uh, it works well. Last night, I listened to the latest episode of Good Friends of Jackson Elias. Aha. And there was a... A familiar, deep, resonant voice on that <laughs> did, of our own Murph. Did you know it was coming, or did you? Were you just surprised? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah he he mentioned on uh, our email list, yeah. but uh, so yeah, and plus they mentioned that at the beginning of the episode too. So even if I hadn't seen that part, uh, yeah. then you know they mentioned it at the beginning. But uh, you know it was uh, really good. They were basically covering the. Uh, Cthulhu through the ages book in general, and then uh, brought in Murph and just kind of discussed it a little bit further with him, and it was uh, very cool to hear him on that. I haven't, you know, had the opportunity to be able to talk to him much in a while, mm. so it was nice to hear him again. <laughs> yeah, right. Schedules have not been kind, neither has technology. Yeah, this this summer has been crazy as far as trying to get people yeah. all in one. At one time on a microphone. A couple episodes ago, my equipment was uh, not going to allow me to be on the show. So Yeah, right. You guys took it, and it seems to be better on this one. I'm still looking at replacing my mixer, so yeah, we'll hopefully get uh, better consistency. But yeah, go ahead and give that a listen. They should be part of your usual uh, playlist anyway, because, well, they cover the same stuff we mm-hmm. do. Yeah, so in that one, they're awesome. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to give a brief on that episode. They're covering the mm-hmm. different eras, uh, covering Cthulhu through the ages. So he uh, talks about the eras that he 
enjoys and they cover some history. It's a good listen. Yeah, he, he does say something about that he thinks that they should have been nominated for an any more than us, which was a little <laughs> weird, kind of awkward. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was I wondered if you'd call him out about that. <laughs> yeah. What the hell, Murph? Yeah. Seriously. I love the guys. That's <laughs> fine for them to be nominated too, but come on. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't even want to mention that. I was kind of surprised they weren't were not <laughs> nominated, but uh, yeah, to uh, <laughs> publicly just declare, <laughs> maybe he can give his his uh, medal to them. <laughs> yeah, that works. But okay, so there's a uh, a new laundry book out that this is just sort of like a small supplement that co- it's called Targets of Acquisition that appears like. These are dossiers for mythos items that uh, are pictured on the cover. And, I mean, there's some weird stuff there. There's an eight-track tape on the cover. Mm-hmm. That's I need to get this book just to find out what that is. <laughs> and a coffee mug and a guitar and a statue. Some sort of seed pod with spikes. Something that might be a decoding machine. I mean, it's just like, okay, mm-hmm. what? Yeah, this. but it it feels very laundry. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's just a little in in game, in universe book put together with these dossiers. So I'm gonna get that just for to see what those are supposed to be because that looks awesome. Yeah, they look like uh, looks like a lot of fun. I still haven't played the laundry. I know the me neither. The group that that I can't say <laughs> the group that Murph is involved in <laughs> um, whose name is uh, unrepeatable. Uh, they've played some laundry. So, and I know, yeah, wow. Murph has even experimented with uh, writing scenarios for that. So oh, yeah, cool. it's a cool world. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm behind one, maybe two books on the actual laundry books now, but you know they're they're really good. I enjoy them quite a lot. They 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 get a little bit uh, gonzo after a few, couple of books, but you know that's okay. They're just super fun. Yeah, it's kind of meant to be a gonzo world. Yep. Yeah. Then there was a notice from the Kickstarter for the Journal of Lovecraftian Science that uh, the PDF versions of the final book will be sending out shortly. That's great. So that's, yeah, looking forward to that. I'm a backer on that. That's one of my. Yep, me too. That's going to be really cool to see what the uh, final version looks like and all the stuff that they're putting together of these, you know, scientific analyses of these various species. Mm-hmm. That's just going to be cool. And Fred Lubno is going to be at Necronomicon doing lectures in some of the cool academic sessions so i'm hoping to catch something from him maybe meet up yeah yeah that'd be great and the kickstarter for cold war cthulhu is obviously all finished up now mm-hmm. and so they were able to uh fund quite handily Forty-two thousand pounds which is a healthy yep. healthy end yeah when what they needed was uh Seven thousand five hundred. Yeah. So I would say that was a pretty successful campaign, and uh, 
you know, Cubicle 7 is really good on their production values. This is going to be a beautiful book. And so that also, that success means that hopefully we'll get a few of the other eras of Cold War items out there. Yeah, uh, it's popular enough, Mm -hmm. it seems, to Uh keep going with it. Yeah, you know, this was 70s. I would get a kick out of seeing some uh, 80s Cold War stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, as I remember it better, basically. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, 70s I was around for, but I was real little, so I don't remember it quite as well. But, uh, you know, that's great to see. I'm glad that they came up with an idea for a uh, line that has proven quite successful so far. Yeah. I'm sure once the books start coming out, then uh, that'll light a, an even bigger fire under that particular direction for them. Mm-hmm. You know, the World War Cthulhu line is definitely very cool. Yeah, I, I would like to see it uh, built out even more, and I'm really looking forward to the 70s uh, era. Mm-hmm. It's such a weird, such weird things happened. And uh, the intelligence community was kind of turned on its head after some exposures. And it's the first time that they, they, they sort of were, <laughs> the robe was taken off the Skeksy. <laughs> yeah. There's two guys in there. What? <laughs> right. It's <laughs> an announcement that a friend of the show, Chad Bowser, had to pull out from being able to go to Necronomicon. That's unfortunate. Yeah, interesting story there. Chad got exposed to rabies. <laughs> That's why he's not oh. able to make it. So there's a bat involved. <laughs> um, I'm not exactly sure the details there, but he was uh, exposed enough that his doctors felt he needed to go through the rabies course because if you, oh no, yeah. If I mean, it might not be that he was exposed, but it's one of those things that if you think you might have been, you know, even in the slightest, uh, it's a deadly disease. It has a cure. Yeah, you know, you can take care of it with a, a few extremely uncomfortable shots, but if you don't take care of it, it's deadly. So he's going through a course of shots, and one of those. Uh, visits is right during Necronomicon. So unfortunately he had to cancel at least a couple of games. He was running some dark ages stuff. And of course he's the dark ages guy. Um, So that's unfortunate, but uh, kind of a a weird reason, almost Lovecraftian reason to miss, (laughs) miss the convention. Was he influenced by yourself and tried to kiss a bat? (laughs) Yeah. You can't get rabies from a fruit bat, so ah, um, that's a fruit bat that I'm kissing on my okay. Facebook. Yeah, but uh, no, I, I bats carry it. They they don't show symptoms, but they are carriers. So ah, that's one of the things. Like you can't really tell what bat is infected and what's not. Um, but it's only the carnivorous ones. The fruit bats are, or, or uh, I was going to say herbaceous. That is completely not true. They are. Um, herbivores so they don't they don't get it okay but uh that sucks it's a drag i mean never I, heard anything good about rabies treatments yeah oh, i think it's gotten better and the whole reason why yeah i would hope so yeah um i've been following his his posts on i believe it's ysdc about this and so he's been talking about how it's not quite as bad as it used to be but 
there's a stomach lining shot that you have to get that goes in through the stomach. And oh, yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's what I heard from as a kid. Yeah. You know, stay away from those animals. They give you shots in the stomach. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Ah. Worse than the rabies. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather froth at the mouth, go mad and die. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I hope this, hopefully it's not as uh, bad as it sounds with the treatments and good luck to you chad yeah no more uh more stay of a- stay away from bats <laughs> away that's from bats. <laughs> <laughs> there's a going to be a stop motion film of the lovecraft story dagon that uh basically the uh person putting this together decided that they needed to blend the atmosphere of Lovecraft with 80s action movies. <laughs> so the narrator from the Lovecraft story has been cast as uh, a claymation Arnold Schwarzenegger. Schwarzy. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. Yeah, and the video uh, is not in English. I don't know what language that's in. No idea. Looks like maybe Italian. <sighs> But uh, I don't want to, don't hold me to that. Anyway, yeah the, yeah, the the video, you know, promotional video you get on Kickstarter is pretty interesting. And the artwork, sculpture-wise, is amazing. Really beautiful. Yeah, yeah, the, the sculptures that are being done here are very, uh, there's so much personality. Yeah. It's uh, just amazing. So I'm, uh, I'm certainly not averse to this. It's just weird. It's weird. Yep. Weird. Even weirder than just straight up mythos is weird. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's go ahead and make a uh, Dagon film based on Lovecraft starring Arnold. Yeah, I don't. Or a parody of Arnold. I guess so. So is Arnold the the narrator character in the? Yeah. Well, he's the only person that's mm-hmm. in the story, really. So yeah. Apart from the bits of him, like, in the hospital. Right. But that hand. on the island, it's just him. That arm. Yeah. That hand. <laughs> and uh, they decided to make Dagon basically Cthulhu. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of a, it's like the story of Dagon, but it it's starring Cthulhu. So, you know, okay, <laughs> whatever. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. It's weird. And it's uh, 21 days to go. It's still got a good chunk of uh, funding it needs to get taken care of. But uh, hopefully this will be, you know, an, a uh, something that gets funded because it's just bizarre. And having Arnold actually actively combating Dagon with, like, a machine gun. Mm-hmm. And it's got a little Tommy gun there. <laughs> yeah. It's just so very odd. <laughs> then we got uh, some feedback here. We got a uh, an iTunes review. Yay. Yes. So uh, from the USA iTunes at the uh, towards the middle of July from Space Heater 5000. <laughs> Five star review. Thank you very, very much. And uh, it's an excellent resource. The Miskatonic University podcast offers an entertaining and enlightening look at the Call of Cthulhu RPG, as well as all things mythos-related and Lovecraft-adjacent. That's a great phrase. Yeah. Lovecraft-adjacent. I know. I like that. It's kind of, we should adopt that in our intro, maybe. In uh, Yeah. You know. 
these guys clearly love what they do and they have great chemistry. Keep up the fantastic work and go pods. Thank you very, very much. Yeah. The, and the iTunes reviews so. do help with mm-hmm. getting other people to find our podcast. It's kind of annoying that iTunes makes that so important in some ways, but that's why you hear yeah. podcasts. Are- and doesn't even release any information about how mm-hmm. it works. Yeah, lack of transparency. You know, it's purely speculation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But it seems pretty apparent that it does. That's why you hear podcasters all the time asking for mm-hmm. iTunes reviews. And we haven't made it a focus. But if if you are a longtime listener and you feel compelled to help us out in that way, that, that does actually, it is it gives us uh, some yeah, leverage. It is a benefit. Yeah. And, you know, t- give yourself, you know, like 10 minutes and, and write reviews for, you know, a couple of different podcasts you listen to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it doesn't matter where you're located. Yeah, there's a different iTunes store for different countries, but, you know, it all, you know, works together and we actually get notified for anywhere in the world. I get emails once a month with all the iTunes reviews we get. So, uh, you know, regardless of where you are, please, you know, write up a review and put it in there. You know, five stars, you know, requested, but doesn't have to be necessarily, you know, what you give you. Honesty is fine. And, uh, you know, just go on out there and maybe once a week write a review or two for the various podcasts you listen to. Very few people listen to just one. Oh, okay, man. And Lay it on thick. <laughs> God, I guess I'll do that after this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do. You feel like I'm listening to you like, oh, man, that's a thing I should do. Crap. <laughs> Then for our Cryptocurium spotlight for this massive Campus Crier episode <laughs> is that the September Parcel of Terror contents have been announced. And for the Lovecraftian wall plaque is a Yog sothoth like hovering over Sentinel Hill. And I really like that one. That's going to look great with the collection of the other ones I've got up on the wall. Yeah, this is a good parcel. And I like yep. the and there's Nosferatu a, in the back there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really love that picture of him, that, uh, that Count Orlock portrait, and uh, another uh, classic horror movie sticker of uh, the Phantom of the Opera. Mm-hmm. We've got our slasher magnet, which is Sam from Trick or Treat. I actually had to look that one up. I had no idea what that was supposed to be. Is that the pumpkin head, the, the sort of scarecrow head? Yeah. Okay. I've never seen the movie, so I had to look it up. Yeah, I had. But uh, yeah, it's like a little kid looking person, you know, in in a costume that uh, turns out to be like this demon thing with a pumpkin-y head underneath the uh, burlap sack. Mm -hmm. Cool. And uh, then there's a, uh, what was it? How does he phrase that? Anti-werewolf charm necklace. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is beautifully sculpted. That's just a really cool looking wolf head. Mm-hmm. And a small glass vial of actual dried wolfsbane. Is it really actual wolfsbane? Yep. Nice. It's authentic dried wolfsbane. And it's been individually labeled and sealed with a cork and red sealing wax. I like it. Yeah. I thought that was a pretty clever little thing to put in there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure how common it is to be able to get hold of Wolfsbane, but uh, apparently you did, so here we go. 
And uh, for, uh, I guess for a couple months, for September and October, instead of having a mystery item, there's going to be several uh, hidden bloody jacks, which will be randomly in boxes, and you'll get a special prize if you uh, find that. Hmm. And by bloody jack, see on the inside cover of the box, you get, there's a stamp in there that's like a pumpkin with wings, and it's kind of a cthuloid pumpkin thing that's normally in black but if you get it in red that's the bloody jack Ah. and so there will be five of those in each month's shipment of the parcel of terror and i guess so if you get a red one then uh you'll let cryptocurium know and you'll get an extra goodie sent to Hmm. you that's fun yeah but, uh, yeah, come on out to the website for Cryptocarium. There are some really nice close-up pictures of these items in this. You can get a better look at it. You know, I, particularly that, that Yog sothoth plaque and the uh, that werewolf necklace is really cool. Mm-hmm. Really like that one. So, uh, yeah. Thank you for Cryptocarium for your support of the show. <laughs> We want to hear from our listeners. We have a lot of different ways you can reach out to us. Our main contact email address is feedback at mu-podcast.com. And we also have a Twitter account at mu underscore podcast. And you can join our IRC channel on the feedback page of the website. We've got our Providence, Rhode Island voicemail number. That's 401-400-0MUP. 401-400-0687. Or you can use the SpeakPipe link located on our website. You can uh, click on that, record from your computer or iOS device, ask us a question, or just leave us a liner like the folks did at the beginning of the show here. Say who you are, and I'm enrolled at the Miskatonic University podcast with a hearty go pods for our home team, the Fighting Cephalopods. And our website is mu-podcast.com. You can find our show notes for this episode at mu-podcast.com slash 85. That's the number, 85. Our forums are at mu-podcast.com slash campus. Come join in our community. Be a part of the conversations. And by the way, thank you very much to our patrons. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us for another episode. Class is dismissed. The Call of Cthulhu role-playing game is property of Chaosium, Inc., the written works of H.P. Lovecraft are held in the United States public domain. All other works mentioned in this podcast are the property of their respective owners. Original content of this show is copyright of the Miskatonic University podcast under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial share-alike license. Stay, stay away from bats. Stay away That's... from bats. <laughs> don't do as as our chad does <laughs> just just because you're another chad don't don't do it don't don't go there I'm telling you is a fruit bat <laughs> <laughs> fruit bats are okay and deserve our love <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
I'm not. That's not a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Where, I don't want anyone to misconstrue. Not a slur of any kind. <laughs> uh, uh, so there's another, yet another Kickstarter. I need to salvage this. Yeah, we're almost Start. done. All right, all right. Tired. Drag ourselves over the finish line here. <laughs> Nearly there.